0: Like, I love hospitality. I love what I do, and I love the people that come into my restaurant and come and see me. I think it's hugely important for a community. I just saw it in COVID when so many people would pull us aside and say, I'm so glad you're still here and you're still open for us because we've got no place else to go. Everything else is shut. I just need to get out of my house. I want to have a coffee and have a moment for me.
1: The opening of a new venue is usually accompanied by stories of chaos and anguish and delay. Or is it? Because we are chatting to today's guest on the very day he has opened a new restaurant, Sunhands in Melbourne's Carlton. Nathan Doyle is also the co-owner of Heart Attack and Fine, also in Carlton, and beloved for its porchetta, great coffee, fine wine and good vibes. Welcome, Nathan.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: How on earth have you managed to chat to me on such a big day?
0: To be honest, I, I don't know. I'm meant to be running a wine training tonight as well, so I'll, um, I'll see how we go. I just you, just you make hours stretch further than they need to. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, give us. A, let's start with Sun Hands first of all. I love the name. Tell us about it. Why Melbourne needs this uh, particular venue.
0: Um, well, the the name itself sort of came from a song. Um, Local Natives is, is the band, but it kind of um, it's based around sort of working with your hands. All of the producers and the um, products we're using and we're all small local producers and makers and growers of things. So, we're going to try to champion that. Uh, and the other component is it's this, this beautiful northwest-facing block, and we're kind of opening the hours of the sunlight. So, it's there for capturing those afternoon hours and having a glass of wine.
1: Wow. That is a really nice concept. I love that space. So, it was the Ema Project Cafe with um, a sort of Japanese vibes. Um, and I'm glad to know that they are going to reopen further north, but um, – Yeah, it's really nice to hear that you have such, I suppose, respect for the way that that site um, sits in the landscape there.
0: Yeah, it's kind of, it's funny that, you you know, opening a second venue, you start to look at these things like, what are the reasons you open a place and why is it there and why is it in the community? And so, what actually happened was Arco, or Osako, and James, who have Ima, uh, are friends of ours, just by nature of being in the neighbourhood. And... um, they were looking to upsize and, and move their project to a bigger space and they reached out to us to see if we wanted to take it and we kind of gave it a, a half a minute's thought and said, yeah, we'll give it a crack and then and then went the process of like, well, what are we going to put in there?
1: That's really interesting. I mean, I'd love you to say more about this, you know, the why behind opening a venue. Yeah, like how do you approach that?
0: Um, well, I have, I have a particular view on um, – how I think and what I think uh, hospitality is in in Melbourne and in kind of our lives as humans, I suppose. And I, and I have a real feeling that it needs to be kind of um, a part of a community. I mean, there are places that can draw, you know, from interstate or, or you know, overseas and, and kind of drive that traffic in that regard. But I, I prefer to work in a space that kind of services a community and connects to a community and a place and creates becomes part of the ecosystem as opposed to um, something that's necessarily kind of uh, be not necessarily, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess we're, we're just trying to be part of the community that we're in, I suppose, and focusing on what the community needs. So I've worked in the area at Heart Attack for almost 10 years now. And one of the things I feel like we really lack is just sort of fresh, light food, especially if you work there five, six days a week. You know, I can only eat so many porketta sandwiches. As good as they are, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm growing east west as opposed to north south these days. So, you know, you got to look after yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I guess both venues, as I understand it, you know, are serving food throughout the day, and it is that idea of we're here for what you need when you need it. Um, but does that make it? harder to run a business i mean we know some some businesses are sort of concentrating their opening hours you know making the most of their staff making you know making sure that they're just exactly stuff what they need not just having people on hand in case someone just decides that they need a coffee at five o'clock like how do you how does that balance out as a business
0: oh uh, it's it, i mean like we are in such interesting times in that regard um and i can probably preach to every hospitality owner in Melbourne and beyond that we're all trying to make it work and trying to make understand what the climate is that we're working in. And um, if we look back at Heart Attack for a second, and Heart Attack, as we've opened this, we've kind of started looking back at what Heart Attack is. And it is a place that's there for everyone all the time. And coming out of COVID, we haven't been able to do that. We haven't had the staff to open Sunday nights. Uh, The traffic just isn't there early in the morning, so we've opened a little bit later. There's little things that we've kind of had to make work just so that the business can survive, I suppose, uh, and continue on making sense. Um, but as we kind of focus, as we kind of move out of that space a bit and into who knows what's going on in the next sort of couple of years, there is a part of me that really like likes to focus back in on like what it's there for and like how we want to engage with the people that come in. It's not just like about um, the bottom line which the bottom line is there to make sure whether they're there tomorrow, you know, and that we can't, we have to respect that and also kind of make a living. But also there's, there's a part of me that is really kind of focusing in on why are we here in this place and and what is our intention? And I think with that, once you have a clearer, clearer uh, intention of what you're doing um, and really execute that perfectly, the people will come, you know, and that's, Kind of my focus at the moment is really just focusing in on those elements,
1: and then so I, I suppose you know the the other end of what you're saying is when they come, you know, you, you're there for them. When they come, they've they, you deliver an experience that really means something. You know, if, with this intentional um, operation, like what sort of you know, what how, what's your approach to that to that ex- delivering an experience when people walk into your businesses?
0: I oh, like. Communication is key, like just talk to people and the way people are, you know, the way people are talking about what's happening in their lives, um, you know, working from home is a real concept at the moment, you know, and we're all trying to get our hand around what that looks like and the city's trying to get their head around what that looks like and I'm trying to get my head around what that looks like in terms of knockoff drinks versus coffees in the morning on the way into work, you know, and where are we actually best suited to um, give that energy back? Um, so, comms is how you find out. And we work intimately with our customers and our team um, to build that narrative and get an understanding of where where we're at and what we're doing next.
1: So, do you feel like people need restaurants for different reasons now?
0: Yeah, I would say so. I look, I think they were always probably the same reasons, but they're now like we're only using it for its core reason. So, I think its core reason was always for an experience. for a for a place, a meeting place to meet with friends, for a vibe, for you know, um, an experience of, of that's different to being at home. Like everyone's learned how to cook sourdough themselves at home during COVID, but we still go out and buy a beautiful sourdough at a beautiful bakery because it's the feeling of getting something nice from someone else. It's that feeling of um, treating ourselves or giving us something special. Um, and I think pre the pandemic, people. Um, I think that it was just a little bit easier and it was in our lives all the time. So it didn't, and that's why we lived in Melbourne. And I think when so many of my team through through COVID were just like, I don't know why I live in Melbourne. There's no music, there's no restaurants, there's no gigs, there's no theatre or shows. It's just a big sweaty city. But we like... But the reason this place is so good is because there are all these beautiful little artistic nuances in the, in the restaurants we go to and the bakeries we go to and the, you know, the gig spaces and the art galleries and all these things that we just we've got, kind of got squashed out of the city. We don't have Sydney's coastline, you know. Um, so I think that I guess the question is that people are kind of coming out for that feeling and that um, experience and less maybe for the product. I think it was very product-driven pre-COVID, and it was what was hot and who's who's making the next good thing. But I reckon pubs were the busiest places coming out of COVID because people just wanted to be around other people, and that's what we were looking for, you know? And I think that that's – where we're still at. I think people come out less frequently, but when they do, they're looking for something with a vibe and to be treated nicely. And the product needs to be good. I don't think you can kind of compromise on the product, but it's really about creating the right ambiance and the right feeling that people leave
1: with. Yeah, I agree with you, Nathan, absolutely, except for one thing, where I would say that businesses such as yours that do focus on this direct access to producers, are putting such incredible produce in front of diners that I think it is really exciting from a, in a very pure food sense to eat at some restaurants.
0: Totally. I'm not, I don't mean to detract from the product. No,
1: I don't think you are, but I just think in terms of like, like it's just such a feature at the moment of that separates mediocre restaurants from great restaurants is this highlighting of produce.
0: Yeah, but that's also I think that that that's part of the experience. Like I think that we're looking for these people because we want to work with these people. Sunhands has been driven from a concept that was we work when we went into, into the pandemic, we literally started talking to our wine suppliers and and like florists up the road and people that were struggling. We said, we'll just sell your stuff through here. We'll work out how to move it through this place and we connected to community in that regard. And Sunhands is kind of that again – to the nth degree where we're searching for small producers and, you know, um, people with with who are doing amazing things on this sort of grassroots level and trying to shine a light on that. But um, it, it is – the product is imperative. You can't, you can't compromise on product. But I think that the narrative and the, people, the way that people are engaging with product is that they want to know where it's coming from and they want to know – they want to have a story told. You know, it's not just like this is a beautiful piece of fish. It's a beautiful piece of fish from these sustainable fisheries off the coast of Tassie. You know, it's like this is what—that's the story that we're telling, and 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 that we're championing that kind of narrative and the way of being, I suppose. And that we can kind of say, look, we're there's so much there's so much in the way that everyone I think is trying to be better. The world's a bit mixed up, <laughs> and we're we're all trying to kind of. Focus in on like how can we be better in what we're doing? how can we be greener in the way that we're acting in the world? how can we be nicer to the people around us because you know it's been a hard couple of years, and I think that we're in that space there's a really nice place of of um, focusing back in and and not necessarily going for the cheapest product but looking for the best product and why is it the best because it's there's more behind it than just marketing.
1: Tell us about a producer uh, that you're really excited to bring to your customers.
0: Um, we've got lots of great people. I think the one I'm really excited about is um, Chastney um, Farm Olives. So, they're out of, I think they're out of Echuca. I have to check to my chef, probably. But the guy, we meet him at, we met him at the Fairfield um, Farmer's Market. And he's just this guy that's making these amazing, like, rare olive styles out of Echuca. And he makes beautiful olive oil. He's got these big sort of green queen olives. And he just like has been doing it for like 15 years. He's just a pro. He makes the best olives, but nobody knows about him. You know, he's just this guy at a farmer's market. And with a first supplier, he's kind of managed to get into a restaurant. And his product is just exquisite. And it's a bit daggy. Like it's not like – he's not like out there with these sort of sharp labels and Instagram and stuff. He's just a guy making olives, you know, and that's like – that's kind of beautiful, you know. It's like it's about the, just making a really good product and that letting that be the, the, um, the story and the and the, um, the thing that drives it.
1: That's so cool. Um, yeah, I I want those olives. I love those big green queens.
0: Like, he makes these Kalamata ones, and we do it in a mix, and they're just like so punchy and so meaty. They're like, I just yeah, they're awesome.
1: Okay, I want to talk about two of your passions, one being coffee and one being wine. But let's start with coffee because that always comes first. Uh, tell us about you and coffee. Like, uh, How did you get into it? What keeps you interested?
0: Um, okay, so I my history in hospitality, I started realistically uh, when I was a kid. I started in a winery and then I worked in uh, events when I was young and then went to overseas and um, – got into wine and bars and I was really into wine and bars over there. But when I came back after three years and I was looking to kind of get into this bar scene, the coffee world had just kind of blown up and everyone was like coffee-centric. We were talking to, you know, you go and sit at the bar and everyone was like, we're actually getting out of the bar scene. We're going to go work in coffee and be specialty coffee makers. And it was like, it was it was really cool. And, and I think it was, at one, one, at one time I aspired to be a very cool person and in that, in that space, you just do, you do what's, what's popping and, and that was like specialty coffee. And so you learn you learnt about coffee to the nth degree. It kind of went like to this pointy, pointy spot where everyone was doing 16 different types of filters on the bar and we were TDSing, you know, the amount of soluble um, solids in the, in the coffee and we were doing all this sort of science behind the bar. And then it kind of eventually turned back to a place where people were like, I just want a really good latte. Um, but but in that space, it's I early on in my hospitality career, I kind of was like, I just want to know, I want to be the best in every area. And I never really understood why restaurants kind of just let, they do this amazing food, and then they just let coffee be whatever it is, you know? Like it was like, we just can't do coffee, so we just do really full on espresso and that's it, you know? So I kind of when went, if and when I opened my restaurant, um, I wanted to have make sure that I was offering really high-quality coffee right into the evening.
1: Nice. And so wine was there, I guess, bubbling away in the background. Um, tell us about how wine sort of came back in as a focus. Um,
0: I, I just have always loved wine. I grew up in the Riverland, which is it's starting to become quite a um, reputable area for wine growing, but it was always kind of bulk wine. I worked at Ango's Winery when I was a kid. Um, and I just... I, I love the puzzle, I like games. I'm a real game, like I love board games, I'm a Catan fiend. Um, but I really liked um, when when you're wine tasting and you're blind tasting wines, that there's kind of like a formula. There's a way to kind of sit and work it out. And if you know, if you have enough of the information and you know enough of the, the puzzle pieces, you can put together what this wine could be potentially blind. And it, I found that really interesting in the beginning. Um, and then, like, like just to give a bit of context on my history of have a primary school teaching degree, and I also studied acting. Um, and so, for me, I the actor the, the theatre element of hospitality was always something that I really loved, and loved being on show. And there's little touches at Heart Attack where all the food and everything happens out the front. We've created a theatre around the food, um, but with that, I I loved kind of like. The theatre of talking people through wine and getting to that sweet spot where you can find exactly the wine or exactly the drink that that person is looking for, and it's that is the is the kind of nuance of perfection hospitality for me. I just love talking wine and and people just engaging with me in that space. It's really nice.
1: Mm. Well, speaking of games and wine, what is good booze blind?
0: Um, that was, uh, that is, and was a, a, a kind of a thing that came out of COVID for me. So one of my team members was having a a significant birthday during COVID and he and his partner were a bit at a loss of what to do. They had a couple of friends that could come over because of, you know, the sequences where they were housemates of housemates or something. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, that was like, look, why don't I create a, a game for you, a little blind tasting game and you guys can, I'll give you some bottles, you can Taste it and that'll be unite, and that'll be great great fun. And the game spawned this idea of like, well, maybe I could teach anyone how to taste wine and I could um, create a space, an ego-free, fun environment where we can engage with wine uh, and talk wine and talk wine nerd stuff in a really safe space where you can ask any question or, you know, any conundrum you have with wine and, and not be wrong or, you know, be shunned at so good booze blind really came from that um and then i started these events that um have actually really taken off i've just run us uh, running a sold out series at the moment and um yeah they just it, it came from my my kind of approach to i suppose hospitality and wine that is just like i think that it should be for everyone and there shouldn't be it is at the end of the day in the end of the day just um it's just food and drink you know and and there shouldn't be any kind of like making people feel like they're not worthy of it. So I think for me, it's like, I just wanted to open up that space for people and just have a talk and and let it be fun. And that's what Boost Blind is all about, I suppose. It's just keeping it a fun, light space.
1: And do you see real transformations in people, you know, that I guess whether they gain in confidence or they try something that just blows their mind, like what sort of experiences do people have when they're learning in this way?
0: So there's two things. I think that people don't really realize that they're going to go in and learn heaps. I think that often wine tastings are driven around either selling the product. So you go to a winery and they say, this tastes like this and this tastes like this. Which one do you like? Which one do you want to buy? Or they're, um, they're, yeah, that's kind of how they're generally driven. And for me, I think the biggest thing is that people come and it's just about learning about your own palate. And so people leave going, I just had no idea that I liked these wines and I didn't like those wines, or that they actually like white wines. They just don't like all white wines or all of the characteristics of white wines. So they can find what they do and don't like within it. Um, that's, the, that's the kind of big aha moment for me is when people really like, yeah, just kind of, I just, I just I, my, my biggest pet peeve is when someone comes in and says to me, I don't like Chardonnay. You know, and it's like, well, Chardonnay is like 17 different wines. You could have a whole range of different Chardonnays. I, think, I just don't think you found the right Chardonnay for you, you know. And it's like opening up that conversation that you might actually really like. Um, you might like Chardonnay or you might like, uh, if you like Pinot Noir, you might also like a Gamay Noir or a Nebbiolo or wines that are, you know, slightly lighter in that style. Um, so, yeah, it's... And it's just opening the conversation and, and getting people feeling excited about that. Yeah, it's great. I just, I just, I love running those events. They're really fun.
1: Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, they sound very empowering, and that people would, you know, have the confidence to walk into their next—I don't know—like three hundred long wine list and just know at least you know the questions to ask, so they could find a wine that suited them, or you know, be able to navigate it um, with much more confidence.
0: Yeah, it's also kind of like, it's almost as basic as I really like this wine last time I went to Blackhearts and Sparrows. How do I get something similar next time? And it's being able to go, this tastes like blah, blah, and blah. I just go in and say, can I get a wine that tastes like blah, blah, and blah. And you're, actually, you're empowered to get wines that you like rather than getting wines that are recommended to you that you aren't actually able to articulate what you like. So it's giving you the tools and the vernacular to, to say, well, this is what I like and this is what I don't like.
1: Yeah, you make it sound really simple and obvious. It's like, I don't know how wine talk and wine choosing got so messed up and complicated.
0: Oh, it's, it, it is, it's, a, it's a busy world there's, and there's lots of, it's nice to go into that ego space where you can kind of talk about the phenolics and the blah, 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 all the bits that are all these wine words that kind of are, you know, a heightened language. But at the end of the day, you've just got to work out how to say the, the things that you're looking for.
1: And um, Nathan, you make wine as well. Like what is your approach when you do that?
0: My, my wine is I make a very um, a very micro winery, we call it. Um, me and a friend of mine uh, make some wine together. His name's Tom and he, um, he's a bit of a cowboy. I've known him since living in Canada and we approach it in the way that probably most small winemakers do and that's like where can we get some fruit, what can we do with this fruit? And how do we make it for a market we're trying to sell it in? That's kind of the mode. Um, I'm trying to be as ethical and sustainable in that same conversation. But again, by being so small, it's like – I mean, to give you an example, we we purchase um, Grenache, Syrah, and Maved from some, gro- um, some growers in um, – McLaren Bale, and we're so small that one year all of our stocks just got canned because they had to sell it to a bigger supplier. And, we, and this is like a week before vintage. So we just had to go and find some fruit. We're like, all right, we'll just get some of this Cabernet Franc and make something with it. You know, So there's an element – I think there's an element of play. And we make some really good wines. I'm pretty proud of the wines we're making. But at the same time, um, it's small and we're figuring it out.
1: Love it. So with all these different balls in the air, I mean, how do you – Think about what you do. Like, if you meet someone that knows nothing about you, how do you explain yourself?
0: Um, I actually, my my um my New Year's resolution this year was to say I'm not going to say that I'm busy anymore. I'm just I'm just doing lots of things, and I haven't quite achieved that just yet. But I'm working on it. Um, I I kind of talk. I guess my I have a I have a bit. Of, I have a pretty clear vision of where I want to head, and all of these elements are kind of helping me move towards that place um, and so I talk more about the vision rather than the things that I'm doing you know and the vision kind of being the thing that's guiding me and and moving me to the place that I need to go um, so that's that's how I talk about it you know for me it's about reshaping some some of the ways that we think about hospitality and and um, yeah and what like uh, yeah I guess that's that's kind of what I'm looking at that's how I describe it is that all that all of these things are a piece piece pieces to a bigger puzzle.
1: And, I mean, are they – is it that sort of concept? Is that, the, is that the end of it or is there like a, a big vision of you and a Chateau or something?
0: No, so the, I, my, I have um, – well, we can go into it, I suppose. I, I have – my vision is, is directed around shifting the narrative of what hospitality is, working in hospitality is, because, I mean, contextually the, the reason heart attack happened for me is I worked for some really great guys – Who saw something in me and we opened a business together and they fronted the money they helped me get there and that was heart attack and vine um and i kind of want to be able to give back in that space and i also i also think of hospitality as a career path worth um following and i find that there's within the industry there's a lot of people get to a certain point great people who work in hospitality are really passionate about what they do get to a point where they burn out or get to a point where they can't see how they could potentially live a life in it, um, buy a house, you know, live a balanced lifestyle, whatever those things are. Um, and they end up retraining and moving away from hospitality. It happens all the time. It's usually around 27 to sort of 35 people sort of go, like, okay, I've got to do something else. And I want to change that narrative. Um, so part of what I'm working on doing is building out a, a program that kind of helps to educate and then potentially provide grants for people to open their own restaurants but not necessarily be a a restaurant group like I don't want to be at the head of it I don't want to be I don't want to own a whole bunch of restaurants I just kind of want to empower other people to open their own and that we work sort of as a co-op or a franchise kind of program where um, we all have the support from one another but everyone owns their business individually and that because the other, other element I want to I want to kind of champion or see more of is owner-operated businesses because I, I they're my favourite restaurants in Melbourne. They're the places that the boss is there and is in there working or or is in, hands-on. Doesn't necessarily be working in the business, but knows all the people that come in, knows their team, you know. And that's there's there's a part there's a part of blood, sweat, and tears. Their blood, sweat, and tears in the in the building. Does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah, more than it's so inspiring. I just absolutely love this. It's very exciting.
0: It is. I'm, I'm like, and the, the, I'm very early in the piece, and Sun Hands is is the first step towards that, and that's part of that is bringing Ashela on, who's who is our venue manager, and she's now a business partner with us, and with that, I'm learning about how to mentor someone in that space, as opposed to just being a venue manager. I'm trying to mentor someone who is now a business owner and what that means. So there's heaps, there's huge amounts of learning that I need to go through for that, um, but it's something that I'm really passionate about because it's. Like, I love hospitality. I love what I do. and I love the people that come into my restaurant and come and see me. Um, and it's, I think it's hugely important for a community. I just saw it in COVID when so many people would pull us aside and say, I'm so glad you're still here and you're still open for us because we've got no place else to go. Everything else is shut. I just need to get out of my house. I want to have a coffee and have a moment for me.
1: Yeah, it was such a obviously such a hard time for hospitality but at the same time people could see how much their existence meant to their communities so in that sense very reinforcing yeah yeah so did you you mentioned at the start of our conversation that you thought of thought about taking on sun hands for about five seconds and then decided to do it was that because you really wanted to create a pathway for a sheller
0: yeah i mean we we'd had another opportunity kind of come our way probably let's call it six months prior uh, and that kind of sparked the conversation with Matt my business partner at heart attack and at Sun hands and shell sheller um, and and we, we all kind of thought maybe we could do something together and that kind of really got me thinking and, and where where we could go and then that kind of fizzled out as things can, can sometimes do um, and then this other opportunity arose and it felt right and we just It was just kind of ready to strike. So we just moved on it quickly.
1: Love it. Well, I'll be watching with even more interest now that I know that backstory and, and, you know, the big plans for the future. Um, Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Nathan. We better let you go because you've got this wine education to deliver. What is the hot topic tonight in the class?
0: Uh, We're looking at Pinot Grigio. We're looking at Alsace and Rhone. We're going to have a look at those two regions and, and the grapes that come from there.
1: All right, well, I might have a glass of Pinot Gris just to send you on your way and toast you.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks so much for your time.
1: No, appreciate it. Thanks for chatting. Cheers. Bye. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, Get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirty linen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.